Welcome to the Scientific Sense podcast, where we explore emerging ideas from science, policy, economics, and technology. My name is Gil Epen. We talk with world's leading academics and experts about their recent research or general areas of topical interest. Scientific Sense is an unstructured conversation with no agenda or preparation. We cover a wide variety of domains where new discoveries are made and new technologies are developed on a daily basis. We are most interested in how new ideas affect society and help educate the world how to pursue a rewarding and enjoyable life rooted in science, logic, and information. We seek knowledge without boundaries or constraints and provide unedited content of conversations with researchers and leaders who love what they do. A companion blog to this podcast can be found at scientificsense.com and this podcast is available on over a dozen platforms and directly at scientificsense.net. If you have suggestions for topics, guests, and other ideas, please send them to info at scientificsense.com and I can be reached at gil at epen.info. My guest today is Professor Daniel Wang, who is Professor of Astronomy at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. His research interests span examining various high-energy sources of the interstellar medium, characterizing the global structure as well as the as well as the physical and chemical states of hot gas in and around galaxies, investigating the interplay of high-energy radiation and gas with other galactic components, and exploring the interaction of galaxies with their environment. Welcome, Dan. Thank you very much. Thank you for the introduction. Yeah, thanks for doing this. So I want to start with one of your um, earlier papers from 2013 dissecting X-ray emitting gas around the center of our galaxy, in which you say most supermassive black holes are accreting at very low levels, accreting at very low levels and are difficult to distinguish from the galaxy centers where they reside. Our own galaxy's SMBH, supermassive black hole, provides an instructive exception and we present a close-up view of the quiescent X-ray emission based on three megaseconds of Chandra observations. So before we get into the details of this, uh, uh, Dan, uh, do you go by Dan or Daniel? Uh, either way will be fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so before we get into the details of this, uh, I want to set the context of um, supermassive back holes. So, um, so we have the Milky Way we assume, or are, are we close to proving that we have a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy? Yes, actually, the last year's Nobel Prize in physics was awarded to the discovery of the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. So two teams uh, were responsible for uh, the observations of the uh, evidence for the supermassive black holes based on the um, orbits of stars very close to the center of our galaxy 
because these stars move so fast that indicates the large concentration of mass in a very small volume at the center of our galaxy. That gives you uh, uh, really convincing evidence for such uh, concentration of mass. The only logical explanation is the supermassive black hole. And then uh, a few years ago, I think maybe two or three years ago, another Nobel Prize in physics was award discovery of the shadow of a supermassive black hole, but not for our supermassive one, supermassive black hole, but for a relatively nearby galaxy, which for good reason, which was observed first. So we do see the shadow that's a really telltale uh, evidence for the real the, the prediction of a supermassive black hole. So for our galaxy, we know the big central concentration of mass that is naturally be explained by supermassive black hole. For a nearby galaxy, M87, uh, we know actually see the shadow of a supermassive black hole. That's uh, the clear confirmation of I mean, the concentration of mass is due to uh, uh, actually the black hole. It's an amazing thing, uh, uh, Daniel. So Einstein should be turning in his grave here. Uh, so, so we took a photograph of a supermassive black hole in M87, and Andrea Getz and the German team, uh, they, they're uh, sort of uh, uh, looking at the motions of stars around our own gal galactic center seems to imply that there is something really massive there in very small amount of space, right? So, yeah. so do, do we have an estimate of what what the mass of that might be? Uh, now, actually, I should clear one statement. I actually, the shadow, the discovery of the shadow of the supermassive black hole at the center of M87 still not awarded Nobel Prize yet. Was that actually, uh, I was a little bit confused <laughs> a few minutes ago. The Nobel Prize was awarded to discovery of the uh, gravitational wave for a merger of the kind of more low mass, uh, supermassive, uh, low mass black holes. Because yeah. that's all the, about the black holes. So that's okay. So sometimes <laughs> you uh, get confused. Yes, so the, um, the discovery of shadow of the black hole is yet to be awarded a Nobel Prize. Now back to your question is, I, uh, if I recall, um, uh, could you repeat your question a little bit? Yeah, so, so I was just wondering whether we have an approximate estimate of the mass of the, the supermassive black hole we have in, in Milky Way. In Milky Way, that's about a 4 million sun's mass. Four, four million solar masses. Yeah. So, so in the grand scheme of things, it's sort of a small black hole, a small supermassive black hole, would you say? Or yes, in the spectrum mass spectrum of black holes, so a black hole at the center of our galaxy is relatively small, but you know, still more than a million solar masses. You know, it, it, I mean, it's not at a so we know actually now this stays down to about let's say a really small fraction of that, something like uh, ten to five or or point one million uh, sun's mass kind of black holes, or also uh, 
have been discovered in nearby galaxies? Yeah, so it's the M87 one where we actually sort of got a shadow, uh, a yeah. picture. Uh, is, is that, is that really big uh, SMPH? Yes, that is much bigger black hole than our, uh, our black hole at center of our galaxy. So when a black hole is big, but uh, of course uh, M87 is more distant. So in terms of angular size in the sky, actually the black hole at center of M87 is comparable to the black hole at center of our galaxy. The reason uh, the discovery of shadow was first made for the M87 is because uh, uh, physically uh, the black hole at M87 is bigger and the bigger that means the change is slower because things need to, uh, information need to be conveyed from one part to, uh, one part of a black hole around a black hole to another part will takes time. So the time scale will be much longer. But the, uh, so our black hole is smaller, so light crossing time is much shorter, therefore tend to change or vary rapidly. Hmm. So it makes it much more difficult to make a picture if things are moving around. Yeah. Okay, because, because things do move around because black hole by itself not emitting things, but they're all accreting matter around from the surrounding, which producing some light. So when the, so the shadow is against the light hmm. emitted by the material around the black holes. So you wear the black hole itself, you don't see it, right? So yeah, you yeah. see the shadow. So when things move, changes rapidly, so you have to move, make a movie instead of a picture. That's to make the uh, imaging of the shadow of our galaxy uh, black hole much more difficult than the black hole for the black hole at the center of M87. Mm. That's interesting. So, so going back to the paper, um, our own galaxy, there's a lot of dust. We are actually in the galaxy, so, so quite difficult to see to the center, right? So, so um, looking at X-ray, uh, that gives us some advantages? Absolutely. Now, just like uh, you were not, were not able to see your stomach, so you have to go to the hospital, right, to take an <laughs> X-ray. So X-ray can go through your body and see the shadow of uh, of your bones, your stomach, you know, whatever, because densities will be different, different ways of uh, your, your body or different parts of your body will emit, will basically absorb the X-ray uh, differently. Now that's basically the way uh, we're kind of seeing uh, towards the center of our galaxy, going through the large amount of gas and dust uh, on the way to the center of our galaxy. So, so most of the dust and gas in our own galaxy, uh, do I understand this correctly, Daniel? They, it, it doesn't really emit X-ray. So, X-ray emitting gas is close to the close to the center. Actually, everything in the universe emits to the X-ray to some degree. Okay, so this is of course stars. They are interstellar gas. Okay, 
they all emit kind of X-ray or reflect X-rays uh, to some degree. But compared to the uh, uh, center of our ga galaxy, which uh, of course is confusing, but uh, you still can see a discrete uh, uh, emission from individual objects if they are relatively bright against the background. So uh, our black hole uh, is not active. It actually is very faint. That's what makes it essential to use high resolution uh, camera or telescopes and to observe um, the em any emission from uh, around the black hole of uh, around center in a center of our galaxy. So um, I don't I don't know much about this material. So um, so as the gas and the, the gas, generally speaking, falls into the black hole, yeah, it's a pretty violent process, right? So in that process, it's going to emit a lot of X-rays. Yes, actually, so you can one way to think about it is uh, black hole has a, a big concentration for mass in a very small volume. Therefore, gravitational potential is very, very uh, deep, just like water falling uh, through the um, waterfalls, right? You just coming down, speeds up, I mean, accelerates, get to the bottom, you get a splash, right? So now the gas kind of falling into the uh, uh, cliff, you know, I mean, kind of uh, around the black holes, just accelerates towards the black hole. And of course, gas will then will collide with each other. Also, the side motions of the gas so will not be able to get into the black hole immediately. It's like you pour the water into your kitchen sink. The water will not get into the sink immediately. They go around and around to dissipate the energy okay, yeah. of the motion. So that, of course, here we're talking about a big, deep potential. There's a lot of energy will be released before uh, all the motion needs to be dissipated, before the matter or, in this case, gas can get into around black holes. So that process will basically leads to the heating of the gas to tens of hundreds of million degrees. That kind of what we call the plasma now is because the electrons will be separated from their nucleus uh, then, so they become charged particles, and this plasma or, or ionized gas will basically emit the X-ray. Yeah, and so in this 2013 paper, you say um, these results provide important constraints for models of the prevalent ra uh, radiatively inefficient accretion state, and so. So our early measurements, so this, so this was before the Chandra um, uh, satellite. Uh, this paper was written in 2013. No, it was, was way after Chandra was launched about more than 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so this is a way which we use the three million uh, uh, seconds of Chandra's exposure to get us uh, good enough data. So we can educate the spectral, not only the imaging, but also yeah. the spectroscopic uh, information, basically how the photons coming out of this very hot plasma 
distribute according to uh, different energies of the photons. That gives you kind of fingerprint about the um, properties of the plasma in terms of temperature, in terms of chemical abundance, things like that. Yeah, this might be a bit technical. What do you mean by radiatively inefficient accretion state? Okay, that's a very good question. Actually, we know uh, essentially all major galaxies, like our own, will have these days supermassive black holes as their centers. So almost every galaxy. Yeah, but the uh, majority of them will not be active. So there are a small fraction of them are very active and they call active galactic nuclei. So which basically all sometimes are called quasars. You can see them at the edge of the universe because they are very, very bright, although they are very, very distant. So that are a small fraction of such supermassive black holes because they are accreting lot of dense materials around especially in the early universe, okay? So there's a lot of materials in individual galaxies. So these are called quasars or active galactic nuclei, are very, very bright. In contrast, the supermassive black hole at center of all galaxies is very faint because there's hardly much material, there's not much dense materials for the uh, supermassive black hole to accrete from home. The reason is actually says uh, uh, big clusters of massive stars around the supermassive black holes. They were formed like a few million years ago. Okay? So that time, during that formation period, there was a lot of cold gas around. So there might be a big uh, uh, episode of uh, emission, just like uh, active galactic nuclei, that was millions of years ago. But the formation of the massive stars around the black holes uh, will lead to uh, uh, some consequences because massive stars also emit winds because they are very, very energetic. So they are producing winds which uh, move at speed something like uh, a few thousand kilometers or miles uh, per second. That's a really strong winds. The, the winds, the strong winds tend to expel any residual cold materials away. Okay, so there's not much cold uh, materials in the immediate environment of supermassive black holes. Can prevent the black hole to greedy. Uh, large amount of matter, therefore large amount of energy to be produced. Yes. So the black hole, only thing to do is to create these very hot uh, wings. So wing is very energetic, density is low, but very hot. So it's hot meal, it's difficult to eat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so basically it's only small because hot is even, even, even when it's very strong gravity, it's very difficult to grab these hardened materials, okay? Their density is very low and very hard to, to, to capture. That basically is an ingredient to make the black holes uh, 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 very, very dim because they hardly have anything getting into the black hole or falling into the potential. 
Okay, so the answer, so, so but this probably represents such you know faint super mass black holes represent a kind of silent majority of black holes in the universe at the present universe at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really interesting. So as you say, the quasars when they formed many many billions of years ago, they had a lot of materials to essentially eat, so to speak. Yeah. Um, in, in the current state, uh, if you look at the Milky Way, uh, SMPH, uh, most of the material has been either blown away or um, already concentrated into stars around the SMPH. So it doesn't really have a lot to eat, looks like, right? Uh, yeah, seems a little more complicated, I would say. I mean, yes, compared to early universe, the amount of gas is relatively small or density is low mm. and uh, but uh, the gas still falling towards the galaxy actually the whole galaxy i will call the ecosystem okay it's an evolving ecosystem so this gas falling towards the uh, galaxy from the intergalactic space okay so yes you have star formation which lots of mass has been locked into the individual stars but the, but the gas is still being accumulated to some degree. So this always continues formation stars. Then the stars will produce energies. Like uh, I mentioned, the faster winds from massive stars. But also the massive stars will die very soon. They will produce supernova explosions at the end of their lives. Yeah. So they produce a lot of energy, which tend to expel the gas. So the whole galaxy is this uh, kind of kind of ecosystem. Yes, you have gas falling in, then you form stars. Stars have this kind of feedback, energetic um, outbursts, which you can tend to expel things. So yeah. kind of, you know, on long term, there's much kind of balance. So stars will be continually formed, but at a much slower pace compared to things at the early universe. So, so yes, so yeah. around black holes, you still forming stars every maybe few million years, you know, then the stars will die. Okay, the massive yeah. stars die, the gas start to get accumulated towards center again, then you will have another episode of star formation and maybe active galactic nuclei phase. Yeah, so, so will it be correct in assuming then, then um, the the SMPHs in uh, in galactic centers, they would be active infrequently. Uh, they you know when they become active, you know uh, it, it's going to be active for a period of time, and they go dormant again, and they'll be active again. Is that the way to think about it? Yes, that's excellent. That's basically, like I would say, something like a whole universe, like Christmas trees. And the kind of fresh, you know, as centers of these galaxies, and the come and the goes. But yes, but the, the brink, the active phase of the supermassive black holes tend to be short-lived. Okay, so they just come and the goes, but the, most of times become more kind of silent, you know, for quite a long time. That's why at the present universe these days. See, black holes normally account for active ones are accounted for like a few percent of all the population of the supermassive black holes. 
Yeah. I want to go into one of your recent papers, um, Aztec survey of the central molecular zone, increasing spectral index of dust with density. Uh, so, so what is the Aztec survey? So Aztec, Aztec is a camera which uh, installed on the, the large millimeter telescope uh, of the, the our university, the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and the Mexico uh, counterpart, and jointly developed the telescope. And so this is just a, so Aztec is one camera which uh, like a, like a heat sensor, which is sensitive to kind of millimeter wave radiation. It's like a micro oven kind of wave. Okay, that is. Uh, uh, another ways to look at the universe. Okay, so uh, so this is a better way to observe uh, cold uh, gas, dense cold gas, which can accumulate at some uh, uh, distance from supermassive black holes. But there's some concentration we call central molecular zone. Okay, that contains a large fraction of the. Uh, dense gas in our galaxy, waiting to form stars. So, so why do you call it a molecular zone? Because it's cold. Because this gas is very dense and very cold, so they tend to form more molecules. So most of uh, the gas in the molecular phase, so we call it a, a molecular zone. Okay, and so um, from the from the su supermassive black hole. What is the distance we are talking about for the zone? So this region is actually about something like a 1,000 light years across, okay. or a little more than that, depending how. So roughly speaking, about uh, 1,000 light years across. Okay, and so the supermassive black hole itself, all the activity that goes on around it, we are talking about a, a few light years, right? So this yeah, is much, much, much yeah. smaller. Even, yes, so this, uh, we're talking about less than one light years. Uh, less so than much, one much of the emission actually yeah. uh, we observe from the around supermassive black hole comes uh, uh, in the region much smaller. So that's amazing things. The size of the the influential size of black hole even much smaller. Okay. And so the event horizon is much, much smaller, like a more like a size, like a solar system, okay, kind of size. Then now, I mean, I, what analogy I will make is now compare the size of black hole with the whole galaxy. So if the black hole is size of, say, a, a quarter, US quarter, coin. Yeah. So what size of galaxy we're thinking about? The, Would you guess? Yeah. Um, the United States, maybe? Yeah, close. The whole, basically, whole globe, whole, whole Earth. That's a galaxy. Okay. Then the, since the black hole of the size of coin will have very large influence of the how that whole Galaxy evolves and how it works actually have love connections. Now that is the size of black holes, the coin. Then the influential regions around it for cold gas 
will be like my room here. Okay, that's the size. So the coin will have direct gravitational influence. Can grab things around. This is a room size. Okay, beyond that, it's very hard to grab because things don't move around. So again, so you cannot grab easily. Okay, so um, yeah, so so now the material around is a big, a much larger size than the, my room here. So around the room around in my backyard here. Okay, that's a so large concentration of matter. So that's kind of uh, um, configuration we're talking about, which but still kind of interact with each other. So, um, so, so what we learn from this um, this cold molecular zone? What, what did we learn in the context of the black hole itself? Do we get some ideas from there? Yes, of course. The, the materials around it, I mean, around the around the, my room here, is certainly will have some kind of immediate impact potentially because things are moving around, you know, around around. So at some point. And um, some things were falling towards the black holes, and the stars will be forming from these dense cold materials. Okay, that's actually, actually we know it is a big concentration of matter there. Then sooner or later, will forming stars. And stars yeah. then form the will expel, you know, because these energetic outflows will push the materials around. So some materials will get into the very center. Maybe eventually we get accreted by the black holes or forming stars around black holes. So, so, so things in the universe, now in the, our galaxy, especially near the center of our galaxy, is very dynamic. So they are moving fast, tend to be denser, and tend to have big concentration of gas or stars. So that means I will call basically center of our gas to be downtown of a big city, right? Yeah. So I mean, I, I mean Amherst, I will consider to be like a suburb, way away from the suburb. But uh, much of the action, uh, sometimes even violent violence, happens at the downtown, right? So of, of course, something good, good, something bad there, but so that's the thing. I mean, what happens in the downtown, of course, we know affects us, right? Because actions, you know, have city government or whatever, you know, whatever big decisions or big actions will affect the rest of the uh, country even sometimes, right? So so the whole galaxy is, works like that. So what? But that basically, basically downtown of galaxy plays a disproportionately important role because there's a lot more actions there. So they tend to expel things out. Not only they just forming things there, the falling towards the center, but they also have lots of spilling spill out in terms of energy, in terms of mass, in terms of. Uh, 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 elements which uh, synthesize in the stars there. So basically, they have that uh, the whole galaxy evolves with time. Mm. So exchange. Yeah, so this molecular zone, it's a little bit like a garbage collection. <laughs> process. Oh, well, well, yeah, no, I mean, you may, you know, it, of course, life goes cycles. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, universe doesn't recycle very well. <laughs> you know, so they, and now yes, so the materials get contaminated. So 
originally kind of pristine materials, maybe falling to, from intergalactic space, contains very uh, uh, small amount of say metals. By metals, I mean heavy elements like oxygens, uh, irons, which build our body or even the earth. Yeah. So initially, there's no such elements. So these all elements we are talking about here, we see around here, are all were all originally synthesized in the course of stars. And these stars, when they die, they will spill out some of them yeah. okay, into back into intergalactic space. And then the material cools down, become denser, and eventually forming new generation of stars. Hmm. But generations after generations, and we start to have more and more such elements. Eventually, some our sun formed from there. Then around the sun, then form the earth. Earth is made of these heavy elements. Okay, eventually uh, life developed, right? So which you know, we now are living, basically, we basically call it a stardust, right? It's all the waste from stars. So, um, so what we learn from this cold molecular zone, you say here, um, there is a deficiency of large grains or a fundamental change in dust optical properties. So, so, so what did we learn from the CMC about uh, either the black hole or the or the Milky Way in general? Now, again, I want to emphasize. So, so we are living in an ecosystem. So every component of ecosystem matters. Okay. So you you want to say if we we have a climate change, of course, right? Because ozone. And because you emitted too much uh, carbon, put too much carbon into the atmosphere, things like that. Yes. So here in the Aztec, the image we are talking about is we are seeing a dust. Okay, dust actually matters a lot. Dust is the kind of ingredient you need to uh, uh, to cool the materials and to shield the radiation. Otherwise, it will penetrate into the into clouds. Which uh, to then uh, allow dust with the gas to collapse to form stars. So dust actually is a very important ingredients in the evolution of the all the life cycles of gas and the, and the stars. Okay. Yeah. So without that kind of dust, the, the things were difficult to evolve. Okay. And so difficult. So just like uh, in a certain aspect of the atmosphere, we need to have. Then, if you change it, and you change it a lot. So the here now we are trying to measure the property of the dust. Okay. So that we need to under, if we want to understand how this ecosystem works, mm. right? And how fast stars can form. Yeah. And and when stars will form, we need to understand dust, their properties. So basically, whether what kind of uh, what's the population of dust, 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 how big they are, how they tend to absorb or emit material as light, and it matters. So that's so these days astronomy is very called astrophysics is to understand how things work. Uh, that, uh, so first thing to do is to understand their properties. So uh, what we did is to measure 
as a property of a dust in this case, therefore have they might affect the um, uh, the evolution of the clouds and why the clouds will be sitting there for them but not forming actively forming stars. So we want to know when the stars will be forming and what's the what will be the life cycles of such a material. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I want to go into your latest paper, uh, Daniel. So Chandra large-scale mapping of the galactic center, probing high energy structures around the central molecular zone. Uh, before we get into the paper, could you talk a bit about Chandra? Um, what exactly is it and um, you know, sort of the history of it? Okay, so everybody knows uh, Hubble, right? Hubble uh, have uh, produced so many uh, spectacular uh, images, but these images are mostly in the visual light that our eyes are sensitive to. Okay, so the so visual light only is a small part of the electric magnetic wave we're talking about. So, so visual light is only a small part of that. Okay, so to understand the universe, we need to understand uh, not only the visual light. Actually, a glass center, for example, will not be seen in visual light because of the dust obscuration. So when that's why we need to go to X-ray. X-ray will be in the in a much energetic part or shorter wavelength of the uh, this uh, uh, electromagnetic magnetic wave. Okay. So, so Chandra is one of the NASA's four great observatories. Okay, so I would call Chandra as the uh, X-ray astronomy, the Hubble of X-ray astronomy, mm -hmm. which is capable to make sharp images, X-ray images of the universe. Okay, compared to the Hubble, which can make. Uh, uh, sharp images of visible universe. Yeah. Is it still operational? Yes, Chandra is still oper operational, just like uh, uh, Hubble. Okay, so other two telescopes uh, will be uh, a Spitzer telescope, which operated in the infrared. Okay, and the other one called a uh, uh, gamma ray telescope. And the uh, which also is no longer working uh, anymore, uh, died uh, years ago, yeah. And so when was Chandra launched? How long has it been up there? Uh, I, if, if I recall correctly, it is uh, 1999. Oh wow, okay, so it's still yeah. going after 20 years. Oh yeah, and I'm still healthy and still, <laughs> oper still operating, it's still very difficult to get time, observing time on telescope. Demand for time is still huge. You know, There's uh, so many questions still yet to be answered. And so it is It is just measuring X-rays. And um, so the large scale mapping, so 20 years of data, I would imagine we have a lot of data now. Uh, was it sort of specializing in our uh, galaxy, or was it looking just like Hubble all over the place? No, these observations, almost all of them were made specifically for the center of our galaxy, or something ex extension from the center of our galaxy. So this whole region we have mapped covers something like um, 40 moon size, 
So if we you know size of moon in the sky, which is about half degrees across. So you basically put the moons together, about 40 of them, the whole image. So this is quite big areas. Yeah. So the changer will take images on a small, very small part of it, okay, for each image. So over the time, 20 years, we accumulate lots of images. So the newest map was produced by combine all these observations, plus some of my new observations, okay, to fill all the gaps, remaining gaps between the previous coverage and producing a bit stitch them together produce a continuous coverage of the entire region which is like a two degrees times four degree regions so not only the the um, central molecular zone part which only covers like a, a, a central band in the middle but also away in north and south away from central molecular zones to study basically how the central molecular zones interacts with the rest of the galaxy, the connection to the rest of the galaxy. And so uh, we, we found a lot of interesting features <laughs> in the center of the galaxy, right? Could you talk a bit about what we found? Yes, um, we found basically um, this love uh, vertical structures, that means away from central molecular zones, okay? Okay, so that means there's a good connection between the activity in central molecular zones with even larger properties, actually larger stru structures when we know previously from other observations like uh, Fermi bubbles, that are kind of gamma ray bubbles on scale, on, I mean, on scales which are comparable to the size of our galaxy. So it's much smaller. But the connection between the two uh, had been uh, unclear. So now with these images, we start to see the specific, specific features, okay, in, in X-ray. So hot gas seems to be flowing out from the central molecular zones into these larger scale structures. And also, more importantly, actually, there are narrow features, very narrow features, which were hardly observed, which only previously were observed in the central molecular zones. And we find because now with these new observations, we start to see these narrow features. Not only they are there, but they also to be positionally coincide with features seen in the radio. Okay, mm -hmm. which radio kind of filaments. Okay, these are filaments have I mean, which have been a mystery for a long, long time, which was actually discovered a lot. Uh, a long time, but I don't know how these radio features, they're all energetic features. But, uh, but the coincidence between the X-ray and the radio, which is totally on the opposite side of the electromagnetic wave, okay, one seems to be on a very longer wavelength, one at a very shorter wavelength, seems to be very different, but they are actually in the same position. 
But the actually longer wavelength does not mean the process which produces it is low energy. Okay, it actually was, it's known actually to be produced by, by very high speed uh, charged particles called cosmic rays. Cosmic rays basically are moving at speed, very close to the speed of light. So yes. these are energetic particles, just more energetic than the uh, people can produce in the super colliders. Okay, this is much more energetic. Then this kind of charged particles moving in a magnetic field or producing uh, radio emission. So radio emission is not very energetic, but the process that produces produce such radio emission is very energetic. Now we start to see the X-ray emission from the same region. That coincidence is very difficult to understand. Mm. Cannot be easily, cannot be explained by any well-known mechanisms like uh, pulsars. Pulsars is a kind of uh, magnetized, fast rotating neutron stars, kind of remnants of the massive stars, which tend to be very speed very fast. I mean, sort of spins very fast, therefore producing cosmic rays. Or by supernova explosions, which tend to producing very high-speed ejectors, which can accelerate uh, particles and heat the gas. But uh, of such narrow features were extremely cannot be explained by such well-known phenomena. So only thing left is a kind of called a man field reconnection. Hmm. That is actually a pretty well-known phenomena for the for the our sun, because sun is very close. Actually, we know this lot of things happens near the surface of the sun. Okay called like a solar flares yeah. or um, solar winds, okay? Solar winds is basically produced by flares or big flares, ejection, which affects the community even when they arrived at the Earth, so, uh, they will even be interrupted the communications. All these are the because charged particles, very energetic ones. So, actually, so we know actually magnetic reconnection is responsible for producing solar flares. But such a phenomenon was predicted for the interstellar space, which is totally different mm. environment from the around the stars, because it's the magnitude of much stronger. But it was predicted, but never been seen. Yeah. So now, as I believe uh, this coincidence of X-ray threat linear features with the radio filaments provides most convincing evidence for the reconnection because the reconnection we know can produce both hot gas and accelerated particles yeah. so which will produce naturally the x-ray emission from hot gas and the uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the radio emissions from from the cosmic rays moving uh, around the magnetic field. So, so, so what do you mean by magnetic reconnection? What, um, what exactly is that? Okay, magnetic field is a little bit uh, 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 hard, hard to understand. Uh, so magnetic field is basically something like a rubber band. Okay, it's some tension. Okay, so magnetic field is kind of energy you think about. 
So of course, the main field is important to generate electricity, things like that. But the main field it basically is not only like rubber bands, you can, it's not say it's tension, okay, rubber band tension, but uh, it's energy, okay. But also main field has directions. We know main field have north, have south, okay, so that means it has direction. So one interesting um, aspect about main field is when two main field of fields of opposing directions get together, can you can force together, they tend to annihilate. Yeah. Something like a matter antimatter annihilation. Yeah. Okay. But of course a little bit more complicated here. So basically it's a so energy stored in the main field, but in opposite kind of direction if in main field they meet together because fundamentally main field is produced by currents. Electricity, okay, current. So basically, different direction of magnetic fields means different direction of currents. Yeah. So when two currents meet opposite direction would meet together, they tend to cancel each other because they all dissipate, collide with each other, producing energy. So that's basically is a source of energy. Uh, kind of release or reconnection means or sometimes called annihilation, okay? Because of course it's not a complete annihilation. So some Manifest of reconnect with each other, then producing uh, tensions, uh, which uh, uh, actually kind of producing also is kind of energy source. But whatever, whether it's reconnection of or or annihilation, produces energy. So, so these filaments that you observe um, are they predictably sort of orthogonal to that connection? Uh, do we know precisely how those filaments will form? Yeah, so that's actually a little bit hard part. So that's why we tend to see all this filament to be vertical. Yeah, so, so, so the um, potential mechanism to produce in the opposing direction is, okay, so for example, you have some pre-existing magnetic field there. Yeah, so say the, the points up, upward. Yeah. Then you now have exploding down there in the molecular zones because of massive stars, for example, have a supernova exploding, or expel the materials because of energy, the energy input. You're producing bubble, right? You're going to heat the gas, so bring the magnetic field outward. Magnetic field, originally says, is kind of in the plane of galaxy in the molecular zone, now pushed by the expansion of the hot gas. Now, in some directions, this direction magnetic field attached to this expanding bubble will have opposing direction. I mean, uh, I mean, relative to the existing ones. So when this pushing, okay, against the, the background magnetic field, so it will naturally produce some regions where you produce annihilations or reconnections. Uh, producing so that's kind of some. So you see the big concentration around these outflowing bubbles or or, or plumes, I call it. And so that's so simultaneous explains why you see the big plumes and narrow features around. So also all of what we have seen uh, at the galactic center, they're all sort of within our expectations, right? There is nothing there that we can't explain currently. Um, to some degree, this all makes sense, you know. Yeah. But you know, it's good to 
first time is kind of you see such strong evidence for such a process to occur. So once you realize, because it's always some theoretical uncertainties in predictions, theoretical predictions, okay, whether such a phenomenon could occur in such an extreme environment, because normally you think uh, interstellar space is pretty empty. <laughs> right, so it's a, it's almost it's a more vacuum than vacuum you can produce in the laboratory. Okay, but the volume of the interstellar space so huge. But and also again, a good point here to make is center of our galaxy is big concentration of matter or or materials. So compared to the uh, uh, our solar neighborhood, things much more violent, much more much denser. Yeah, so actually it's natural to, to observe such a phenomena, interstellar phenomena, first time towards the center of our galaxy. Okay, yeah. so that's so if we understand the process, how frequently it occurs, have more such detections, so we'll reach a better understanding how frequent, how energetic, how much energy will produce, and how such many field can actually bring energy from one part of the gas to another, for example, here from the center, from central molecular zones to towards the halos of our galaxy. So that's kind of energy transportation is very important because so far we just have speculation. Okay, you have energy producing in one place or kind of uh, transport to another part, but we don't know how much energy actually will be dissipated in locally here or on the way. Okay, how efficient the transportation might be, hmm. and what kind of energy, how energy will be released again. Okay, say here you have transportation through many field. Yes. Then how the many field will release energy in what kind of fashion? Whether it's mostly in hot gas, or whether in the cosmic rays. So that it all affects the how the uh, the uh, one region affects another, or how. Uh, the uh, ecosystem of our gas works because you have to know the all specifics, not, not just hand waving, let I me mean, arguments. So we basically <laughs> in science, right? We have some theory, have some expectations, but we also want to have observations, uh, confirmations. Then we can move from there. Then okay, how actually things work? Yeah. So I, I want to finish up, Daniel. Um, I don't understand too much about this, but. Uh, we found a long filament of approximately 3.5 billion years long, which is, seems like three times the theoretical limit. That seems to throw a wrench into a standard model. So, what is your what is your feeling about this recent uh, finding? So, what's your filament? So, so this uh, I don't know exactly what they call it. Uh, so, there is a structure uh -huh. in in the universe that appeared to extend. Uh, around 3.5 billion light years. Okay, this uh, is okay. Me uh, beyond the galaxies, right? So this right. is called in, uh, the uh, largest scale structures of the universe. Right. right. Yes. Uh, yeah. They are. Uh, I, I haven't followed this story uh, closely, but uh, big walls of materials of galaxies uh, have been seen before. I'm not sure how. Uh, this new world, newly discovered one, compared to the existing ones, 
you know, yes, uh, in principle, uh, we still yet to understand basically how the, such large scale structures form. But I, my understanding is the overall cosmological structures or backbones, you know, the, the, uh, the framework of the universe relatively well, well understood. But I have, I'll be honest, I haven't followed this story closely to, to see what's new in, the, uh, in this, this discovery. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the issue is that it will challenge sort of the isotropic, um, you know, sort of uniform assumption of yeah. the standard model if, if we find them. But uh, I guess cosmology always uh, makes things interesting. You always find something new. Yes, absolutely. You know, if you find something which cannot be explained by the current standard models, actually we do have a standard model for the cosmology, then that'll be interesting. You know, uh, certainly or let me if the challenge, you know, I mean, it's always steps. You know, you have to make. You know, to see uh, uh, how things uh, can can or cannot be explained, and then move on. You know. Excellent. Yeah, this has been great, Daniel. Thanks so much for spending time with me. Thank you very much. And hopefully, hopefully uh, my explanation is uh, uh, not too difficult to, uh, to understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's I mean, there's so much to understand. So yeah. in, in bits and pieces, you know, yeah. uh, this is this is useful for general public. Okay, Thank, thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. This is a Scientific Sense podcast providing unscripted conversations with leading academics and researchers on a variety of topics. If you'd like to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to info at scientificsense.com.